0: Take your Bibles with me, and the words to which I would call your attention this morning come to us from Romans chapter 1. And we're going to pay special attention to verses 26 and 27. But we will begin reading this morning in verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. This is God's holy and inerrant infallible and authoritative word. Give attention to it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank You that You have determined to reveal Yourself to mankind in Your creation and in Your Word. Lord, we ask You now that You would bless us and enable us to understand these words, to apply them to ourselves and to others, and to live them out to Your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Eight, eight days ago... <clears throat> it became illegal in Canada to provide any form of conversion therapy to those who identify as same-sex attracted. It was a unanimous vote in both houses of their parliament to pass this law. It essentially says in the preamble of the law that any form of a biblical definition of marriage or gender is a quote-unquote myth. Today, faithful pastors across Canada are standing in their pulpits in defiance of the law and preaching the biblical definition of marriage. Ministers across the country have been asked to stand in solidarity with those men. And so we do the same Humanity is rapidly moving toward classifying not just certain actions as illegal, but thoughts as well. Uh, Driven by the sexual revolution of our culture, it is not only seen as illegal to do certain things in our society, it is also illegal to think certain things. So we have what we have in Canada. Not only may you not subject, per se, a man or a woman to conversion therapy, seeking to help them with this entangling sin, but you may not even think that it is wrong. To hold to any one of these so-called myths is to violate the law of the land, and you will be subject to penalty. In some cases, not more than five years in prison. In some cases, not less than two. So ministers in Canada right now at this very moment are standing in their pulpits illegally proclaiming the law of God. As we look at Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27... We are now reading words that would be considered illegal to say out loud. But what they teach us is very clear. That homosexuality, listen very carefully, homosexuality both as a desire and an activity, violate God's purpose for his creation and attack the foundation of truth. Homosexuality, both as a desire and an activity, violate God's purpose for creation and attacks the very foundations of truth. When we get to Romans chapter 1 here, we notice something uh, over and over. Paul is, is focusing on revelation, And so the theme of the first three chapters of Romans is revelation. Paul is talking to us about the fact that that God, both in nature and in his word, has revealed himself to mankind. And mankind has reacted to that revelation. So go back with me at verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed. You notice there, uh, this begins that theme. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So you and I, as we observe, the, there was a volcano that went off yesterday. It was an amazing satellite picture. It sent uh, ripples around the earth. Um, this is a revelation of God's wrath against the earth. These devastating events remind us that God is not happy with things as they are. He is revealing His wrath against men. But we notice the the work of men again in verse 18 that by their unrighteousness, men suppress the truth. This is an activity of mankind that through unrighteous works, men are suppressing the truth. How, How are they doing that? Well, not just in a general sense that they are are trying to undo the works of God in nature, trying to keep people from acknowledging the Lord. That is true. But it's also a personal work, a work in the interior of man's heart. He is trying to suppress the truth written on his heart, to hold it under the water, as it were, to stop it from speaking to him, convicting him. Paul is demonstrating that men have rebelled against God's revelation, both in creation and in his word. Notice again in verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Paul is speaking of God's judgment against mankind, especially with reference to how mankind either receives or rejects his revelation of himself. Well, where does, where does homosexuality fall into this whole grand picture Well, the first thing that we notice, our first point this morning as we go back to verses 26 and 27, is that homosexuality violates God's purpose for His creation. Homosexuality violates God's purpose for His creation. Notice what Paul says in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Well, for what reason? Uh, What's the whole reason here? We're we're backing up. We can go to verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Even there, we've got a a concluding word, a logical word, therefore, pointing us even further back. Notice in verse 22 then, claiming to be wise They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What's going on here? Instead of worshiping God, man is worshiping himself and the creation. Man is worshiping himself. And he is worshiping creation. And what we notice then is that as we come back to verse 26 and we find this for this reason, we begin to understand perverse sexual desire is an aspect of God's judgment. It is, in a very real sense, a revelation of God's wrath against mankind. Why do men... Desire, why do men, why are their hearts filled with perverse sexual desires? Where does that come from? It in itself is a revelation of God's wrath. In itself is a revelation of God's judgment. We could go back to the very opening pages of Scripture, thinking of Genesis chapter 6. What do we find on the pages of Genesis chapter 6? Well, what we find is that the earth is full of wickedness and particularly that is defined as sexual sin. The sons of God are going into the sons of man and they're com- committing heinous sexual acts before the Lord. That For that reason, God determined to flood the earth, to start over, as it were. We could go again to Genesis chapter 9. Ham's sin against his father was defined as what? Uncovering his father's nakedness. Well, we know that this is a euphemism that is found in Leviticus chapter 18 for sexual sin. It very likely, Ham was engaged in some sort of incest with his mother to 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 clinch his right as the elder brother. Or we could go again to Genesis chapter 19. Over and over and over, we find sexual sin, perverse sexual desire, is an illustration of God's wrath against mankind. In Genesis 19 is Sodom and Gomorrah. Paul defines this, notice as we go back to Romans 1, verse 26. God gave men over to dishonorable Passions. What does dishonorable mean? Turn over with me to Romans chapter 9. Paul uses a very similar phrase here. Romans chapter 9, verse 21. Has the potter. No right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, you see a similar theme there, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath... Prepared for destruction. So, in this passage, we see the relationship between uh, dishonorable use, wrath, and destruction. So, when we come back then to Romans chapter 1, verse 26, how are we to understand this idea of a dishonorable passion? It is an ungodly passion, it is one that is fit for destruction. And especially Paul wants us to understand then that this dishonorable use comes from, it derives from God's judgment, is an illustration of God's judgment on the earth that dishonorable passions exist at all. But he shows us something else. Perverse sexual action pl- flows from perverse. Desire again, we, we go back to Romans: 126, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For, their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. We are tempted to highlight many varieties of sexual perversion and to equate them or to highlight many aspects of the sinful life, many aspects of the fall, many effects that, that show up in our own lives, uh, lying and theft and this sort of thing. But we notice that in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, Paul does not equate these sins at all. He highlights homosexual perversion as especially heinous. Paul highlights it as This same sex attraction and activity as particularly perverse, flowing from a perverse desire. Notice what he says about it in verse 27. I'm sorry, verse 26. That women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, they are literally against nature. Homosexuality is especially classified by Scripture as going against the human nature. It is to use, as it were, the human body in a way that God never intended. It is a a violation of the very constitution of a man to engage in homosexual desire or homosexual activity. So it doesn't just violate God's law. We we don't just look at the Ten Commandments in, in Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy 5 and say this desire, this activity is a violation of God's law. Paul goes on and he says it is a violation of the very constitution of a man or a woman. It violates the very purpose for which God created the human body. And so it's important here as believers that we begin to think this through. On the one hand, our friends who struggle with these things could look at this and say, well, this is, this is one command. This is one way to look at the world. But it goes a bit deeper than that for us. This is, it's not just a positive command. The very fabric of creation is violated by same-sex attraction and same-sex activity. This perverse desire is a result of the fall and it attacks God's purpose for His creation. But one of the things that we have reflected on as we think about God's creation of the earth is we reflect on the earth and the whole universe as a temple, as a tabernacle that God built, that He constructed by the word of His power, And what was the purpose of that tabernacle? What is the purpose of the temple that God created? Go back with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, And multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man and woman for the purpose of filling his tabernacle with his glory. Multiply, be fruitful subdue the earth, exercise dominion over the earth so that my image will fill the earth and my tabernacle will be filled with my glory. Procreation then is the activity through which God's glory fills the earth. It's not an end in and of itself. It is a means by which God glorifies Himself in all creation. As we think about this then, Homosexuality, in essence, is a declaration. We won't procreate. We won't fill the earth with your glory. This is the perspective that you and I have to have. This is not just God saying, this is off limits over here. This is the fairway. This is the area that I want you to play in. Don't, be, uh, uh, don't venture out here. This is sin. The issue here is the nature and, uh, for which God created, the purpose for which God created the earth itself. That His glory would fill the earth. Therefore, homosexuality violates God's purpose for His creation. Secondly, notice that homosexuality attacks the very foundations of truth. Why Why talk about this at all? In one sense, we're talking about a very fringe element of society. A very small percentage of society that struggle with this at least if st- statistics speak for themselves. But they speak with a very loud voice. And what is at issue here? Is not just whether we tell someone that they can or cannot practice this perversion. What is at issue here is the truth itself. You see, wicked desire is always at work within you and me, to overcome and subvert the truth. This is the war of Romans chapter 1. Will the truth stand? Or will we overcome it? And the nature of sinful desire within you and me is to overcome that truth, to suppress that truth. That is who we are by nature. Wicked desire has one principal objective. To make you God. You go back to the very first temptation. And you think about that exchange that took place between Eve and Satan. And his temptation to her was this. Don't you see that God is withholding some good for you? Don't you see that eating this fruit is going to make you to know good and evil? Don't you see that it's going to make you like God? The very fundamental principle of sin within every person is a desire to be a God to himself. It's at work in, within you, even as a believer. Even as a regenerate man or woman, this principle is at work within you, the corrupting principle of sin. It doesn't go away when you are born again. It is something that you fight against all of your life. The homosexual agenda then, thinking about this, is an attempt to embody God and to define good and evil for ourselves. The philosophy that denies Scripture and embraces homosexuality as normal and natural cannot turn and say that any other perversion is morally wrong. You think just right now. That there is some attention being given to the Muslim immigrants who have come in as part of, from Afghanistan, this recent issue. And there are some who are trying to say, look, there are many child brides right here on U.S. soil who have come in as a part of this culture. Well, how do we look at them and say that's wrong? The homosexual agenda subverts this entire body of truth so that nothing can be called perverse and morally wrong. It attacks the truth. Therefore, Christians who embrace homosexuality as normal and natural, or as irreversible, listen to me. Christians who embrace homosexuality as normal, natural, as irreversible do one thing you destroy the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If an aspect of the gospel is freedom from the debilitating and enslaving desires of the flesh, then what do we do when we say that you can't overcome it? This is a debate that's going on in our own denomination right now. Pastor in Missouri, Greg Johnson, recently published an article in USA Today. He is a PCA pastor. And he wrote these words. Like 698,000 other adults in America, I tried to change my sexual orientation over the years. And I find this breathtaking. Of course, it never changed. You see what Johnson is saying. is that a gay orientation, a same-sex orientation, is an irreversible orientation. What is the message of the gospel for someone who takes this perspective? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, that thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient, listen to this phrase, from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. This passage gives hope to those who turn to Christ in faith and repentance. What it is saying to you is that you can have freedom. Not just from sinful practices, but from sinful desires. Your very will can be conformed to the likeness of the will of Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is so powerful that the things that Christ loves, you too can love, and the things that Christ hates, you too can hate. You don't have to be in bondage to pornography. You don't have to be in bondage to anxiety. You don't have to be in bondage to any other besetting sin. It is within the power of the Holy Spirit to release you from those things. Another thing that this passage urges is not just hope, but it urges patience within the Christian community. Freedom from sinful desire often does not happen overnight. And there's a reason for that. It can be a two steps forward and a one step backward journey. But God has given us each other. The reason that God has joined you to this body is not just so that you could have a place to worship, but so that you would have a community of believers who provide you encouragement and hope to continue the fight against those besetting sins that plague your heart and mind. I want to give you ten commitments. I'm taking these from a book by another PCA pastor by the name of Kevin DeYoung. I want you to listen carefully to each of those as we consider both our stance against homosexuality as normal and natural, and for the progressive sanctification of the Spirit of God. Here is the first commitment. We will encourage our leaders to preach through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter that they might reach the whole counsel of God, even the unpopular parts, or teach the whole counsel of God, even the unpopular parts, and avoid riding hobby horses, even popular ones. Two, we will tell the truth about all sins including homosexuality, but especially the sins most prevalent in our communities. Recently, uh, Doug Wilson was asked the question, um, how can you tell if you're in a church with a spine? He said, you can tell that you're in a church with a spine if it preaches against the sins within the four walls of your church, not just against the sins that are out there. That's our commitment. Number three, We will guard the truth of God's word, protect God's people from error, and confront the world when it tries to press us into its mold. Number four, we will call all people to faith in Christ as the only way to the Father and the only way to have eternal life. Number five, we will speak to all people about the good news that Jesus died in our place, and rose again so that we might be set free from the curse of the law, saved from the wrath of God, and welcomed into the holy city at the restoration of all things. Number six, we will treat all Christians as new creations in Christ, reminding each other, this is important, that our true identity is not based on sexuality or self-expression, but on our union with Christ in that USA today article pastor Johnson entitled it I'm a gay celibate pastor this is wrong 7 we will extend God's forgiveness to all those who come in broken-hearted repentance Everyone, from homosexual sinners to heterosexual sinners, from the proud to the greedy, from the people-pleaser to the self-righteous. Just a few weeks ago, I pulled up early one morning, and there was a car right out here. And the young man backed up and talked to me, and he said, I just... was compelled to come out here to look at the church. I'm not a church goer. I wanted to see it, and I'm kind of at a low point in my life. And I said, why don't you come in, and we'll chat. So he came, and he sat in my office for a few minutes, and he disclosed to me that he was gay, openly gay. He said, do you think I would be welcome in your church? I said, 100%. He said, are you going to come down the aisle and point at me and tell me to repent? I said, I'm not that kind of a preacher. I said, but we do preach that homosexuality is a sin in need of repentance. And he and I have texted back and forth several times since then. He hasn't come. But our commitment to a church is that if he did come, we would welcome him with the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Calling him to the hope of Christ. Number eight. Consider this, please. We will ask for forgiveness when we are rude or thoughtless or joke about those who experience same-sex attraction. Number nine, we will strive to be a community that welcomes all those who hate their sin and struggle against it, even when that struggle involves failures and setbacks. Number ten, We will seek to love all in our midst, regardless of their particular vices or virtues, by preaching the Bible, recognizing evidences of God's grace, pointing out behaviors that dishonor the Lord, taking church membership seriously, exercising church discipline, announcing the free offer of the gospel, striving for holiness together, Practicing the one another's of Christian discipleship and exalting in Christ above all things. Pastor DeYoung gives us some wonderful counsel in these ten commitments. We remember, brothers and sisters, that not one of us is free from besetting sin. Not one of us can say, I've finally arrived. I've achieved what John Wesley thought, that perfection of life. I'm walking with the Lord. I don't have anything that I need to repent of. We recognize that because of that we can't point fingers at one another or hold ourselves above one another in a in a way that says I'm holier than you. I don't have any need of repentance. But in all of this we walk together to the celestial city. We walk together to Zion. We call sin sin. We rejoice when brothers and sisters gain victory over sin and we show mercy to those who are struggling as long as they are struggling and especially with reference to homosexuality, the cultural desire of the day, we remember that Scripture is quite clear that both as a desire and an activity, it violates God's purpose for His creation, and it attacks the very foundations of the truth. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we consider these words, first of all, we, we ask that you would be gracious to us that we could be like the faithful brother in Matthew chapter 7, who does far more labor examining himself and his own sins than he does in others. That each, every, each and every one of us would be far more sensitive to our own sins and struggles with sin than we are to those of others. So that when the time comes for us to address sin in our brother, we can see clearly to help him remove the speck that is in his eye. Lord, help New Covenant to be a gracious and charitable place where we do two things preach the word in season and out of season rejoice in everything that your word has to say and stand upon it lord while also offering the hope of the gospel of jesus christ to all men we pray for our brothers and sisters brothers in canada who today are standing up to proclaim the truth who are doing so illegally who are in a very real way showing that they desire to be obedient to you above men we ask for your protection we ask that you would cause this law to be shown for corrupt and that it would be overturned we ask that you would bring the canadian parliament to repentance and that they would all confess their sin to You, Lord, and receive Your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We pray for our own country. Lord, in many of these things, we see what could be our future. But Father, the hope that we have is that our future does not lie in the hands of the American Congress. It lies in the hands of God. And You are faithful. You are unchanging. And Your providence toward Your people is always good. And we rejoice, O oh Lord, Lord, And this one truth, that the church of Jesus Christ will never be conquered, it will never disappear, it will never be vanquished, that all things, all things, including this immoral law, are working together for the building up of your people and the ultimate conquest of Jesus Christ. In whose blessed name we pray, amen.